All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ podcast. Thank you for letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to episode 56 of the KISS FAQ podcast. I'm Julian Gill, the admin on the board and one of your hosts. Joining me today is Ken, 69th Blizzard. Welcome back, Ken. Thank you. The ever-dominating St. Louis Kiss, Lonnie. Good to see you. And we have a new face with us today, Joe. Purple Elbow on the board, I believe. And you're going to have people's elbow. Actually, after the most electrifying move in sports entertainment history, it's one of my guilty pleasures, although I don't watch it much uh, pro wrestling. But uh, it's a name I've used for a few years and as a screen. So it that's a, kind of a... In a nutshell, where the name came from, people's elbow. Well, that, like the eyebrow, right? Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think I've gone dyslexic then because I, I, I had purple in the, in my head. So thanks and for explaining I'm, that for me. I, I, I'm a White Sox fan, not a Cubs fan, so I'm not offended by the head at all. Oh, so. good. Good. I don't have to throw you off the show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I'm a Giants guy, so I'm not offended by his head at all. <laughs> Because we know who we know we know who wins. <laughs> All right, Joe. Why don't you give us a little bit of uh, since this is your first appearance on the show? Uh, why don't you just give us a quick introduction about yourself, where you're from, when you became a fan, um, your favorite album, favorite sure. member, uh, and all that. Jazz. I, so I've grown up in the Chicago area. I live in the western suburbs, Downers Grove, Illinois, right now. Um, so I've grown up all over around Chicago. I went to University of Iowa. Those were the only four years I wasn't in Chicago. That's going to be play an important part in this episode, so bear with me there. Um, I became a fan in 1975. Uh, so I was in, ever since I was a little kid, I liked the heavier stuff. So, you know, I, I liked Smoke on the Water. I liked Sweet. Um, I liked Alice Cooper if it rocked. But then when I heard Rock and Roll All Night, I was like, wow. So I went to a local department store called Corvettes at the time with my money that I made from mowing lawns. And I saw the Alive album and my head exploded. I was like, what am I looking at? Like these guys in makeup. I brought the album home and I listened to like, I think I listened to side one for a month before I even got to side two. And because, you know, back then it was the records and you just kept that. I'm like, what am I listening to? This is the greatest thing I've ever heard. So that's my favorite all time album. And that's the reason I really got in the hard rock and heavy metal is because of Kiss Alive. And Kiss has just been a it's just a fascinating subject and a fascinating band. And that's why I listen to podcasts like yours and other ones out there and read everything about it. The, the history I think is even more amazing than the actual music and the politics and the band and everything that happened. It's just, uh, it's just really a life changer as far as musically for me. Um, so alive is definitely my favorite. My favorite studio album is uh, rock and roll over. Um, Good choice. really got into that, but for the topic today, this, I'm going to have to say this might be, this comes pretty close to number two. We're going to talk about that today. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the Wendy O. Williams album, um, and we'll talk about that. Uh, favorite member of the band, um, musically, it's Ace Frehley. Uh, I've met three of the four original members, and after when I met Ace, it wasn't a pleasant experience at all. <laughs> um, 
I've talked to Gene three times. And so outside of musically as a person, I'd have to say Gene. Gene has always been gracious, always goes out of his way to talk to anybody. I uh, can't say enough about the way he presents himself to fans and people on the street. So musically, I would have to say Ace, definitely. And uh, outside of the music, Gene. And who's the third member you've met? Oh, I met Paul once. Yeah. What, and, was, uh, what was your impression on him? Um, nice. And uh, yeah, no, he was, you know, he was a nice guy. Yeah. I did. I did the backstage thing, uh, during the uh, last tour and yeah, it cost a lot of money, but it was well worth it. You saw the unplugged show and the band spent a lot of quality time. So I, I did meet, uh, Tommy and Eric as well. Uh, Eric Singer was great. I actually got, I talked to him about Johnny Manziel at the time. He's a huge Cleveland Browns fan. So I brought, I brought up Johnny football. He wouldn't stop talking to me and they had to push him along to move the line. But I, I, it's, I know a lot of people talk about the cost, but it was well worth the money to meet him in that scenario. And the unplugged show was fantastic. You was, know, that, they, was that that Kiss Def Leppard show in Chicago? Yes, sir. Yeah. I was there too. Very nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We went, were you at the uh, backstage of meet and greet? I was, I was not, I was not meet and greet, but I was yeah. The Unplugged show was fan, just as good. I mean, some, Parasite is Parasite and 100,000 Years are my two favorite songs. And someone yelled out Parasite, and they just went into it. And Eric Singer just ripped on the drums in this acoustic setting. It was really cool. That's awesome. So yeah. that is Joe, uh, a brief introduction. And you're going to learn more about him as we uh, do the episode, obviously. So today's topic is your topic, Joe, because you uh, PM me and said, hey, how about doing a show about this album? And you've already shown us. So why don't you tell us about the, the topic today? Okay. I've been obsessed with the W.O.W. Wendy O. Williams album since I bought it. So a little background. When the Plasmatics first came out, I wasn't really that big of a fan. As far as I was concerned, there was only one punk band, and that was the Sex Pistols. And everything else paled in comparison. Love, never mind the Bollocks, one of my favorite albums. But then I remember watching, I used to watch second uh, SCTV, and John Candy had a fish and musician um, segment. So he had the plasmatics on, and that's when Metal Priestess came out. And they, they played the Doom song. And I was like, whoa, okay, now they, this band is starting to kick some butt because they did everything. They, I mean, the song rocked, and they did something where I, I, she, she smashed the TV or something. And a guy, I remember he came running across the stage with a fire extinguisher, and I was like, this kicks ass. So I started getting into plasmatics, and then they did, right around the same time, they started doing, uh, Wendy started doing that stuff with Motorhead, and I'm a huge Motorhead fan as well. And despite the fact that he quit the band allegedly because of that. I, I really liked what they did. I liked how Lemmy played Master Plan and, and uh, Plasmatics wound up playing No Class. So I, I was a tried and true fan. And Coup d'etat came out, which was just an amazing album. So when I was at University of Iowa, um, the Creatures of the Night tour came and they were hitting smaller venues and they played Dubuque, Iowa. So we did the two hour drive to Dubuque to see the tour. And I think I, if I checked the uh, Kurt Gooch book, um, Kiss Alive Forever, I think there might have been 3,000 fans there. I mean, there was hardly anybody there, but Kiss put just on an amazing show. We didn't know if Ace would be there or not, um, and we found out that it was Vinny. But the Plasmatics opened up, and they were great as well. And to this day, it's one of the greatest shows I've ever been to. So I was a fan 
of the Plasmatics, tried and true. When I found out this uh, Wendy O. Williams came, album came out and Gene Simmons was producing it, and I just really enjoyed it, and I listened to it all the time. I still do. And when I look at all the credits and everything on the album, this, I have the album here, it's a Kiss album. It's In fact, I would have to say, this is what I expected Gene's solo album to sound like in retrospect. And I know Gene takes quite a beating for all the uh, music he put out in the 80s, but he put out a lot of great music on this album. And he plays more bass on this album than he does on most Kiss albums. He, he's under the name of Reginald Van Helsing, and he plays bass on every song. And it, I mean, there's Ace. Oh, another thing that really, um, really piqued my interest was that Ace Freely appears on Bump and Grind, which is possibly my favorite song in the album. So I was thinking, this is between Lick It Up and uh, uh, Animalize, and I'm thinking maybe Ace is coming back into the band. I mean, I like Vinny, but. I only, I mean, you know, there's Eddie Van Halen, Randy Rhodes. After that, you can have all the shredders. Um, I really wanted Ace back in the band badly, and I thought maybe this was, this was happening, you know. And to this day, I don't know how or why. I even asked Gene, and he wouldn't answer me the question. I've emailed uh, the Plasmatics website. I don't know how he, how it came about. Ace came to play on this song, and it's a basic Ace Freely solo, but it's it's great. So. That's why I wanted to uh, talk about this, because I think it's one of the greatest Kiss albums ever made. And it's not being by it's not officially made by Kiss. That's, a, that's, so a, that's it, a really cool intro to the topic. Lonnie, what yeah. do you recall about your first encounter with the late and, and you know, I won't say great, but she was very unique. Wendy O. Williams, uh, you know, and also a tragic story that's attached with her. But when did you first run into this album? It was not, I mean, it was, it was late in the game before I, you know, when I was a kid, you know, going out and buying Kiss out, going out and, and getting the back catalog is what was important to me, you know, and getting audio cassettes of Love Gone and, and cassettes of, of, of Kiss's catalog. And I finally felt, I guess, by the time I got them all, like, well, I'm, I'm complete now. I have everything. It wasn't until really after the dawn of the internet and I started doing more research on KISS and, you know, um, websites like the FAQ, websites like KISS Otaku, um, Branville's old website, that I started to find out more things like that about, you know, just things that I wasn't aware of. You know what I mean? And I went and I sought it out and I found it at a used record store um in town and and put it on and i guess it was maybe i don't know it was 97 98 before i you know came across it i mean first finding out about it and then actually getting my hands on it too because it's not like i could just like now or if somebody's listening to this and it doesn't have it they can just go on itunes oh type in plasmax oh there it is i got it 20 seconds later so you know, it was it was a little more of a process back then, um, and, but but I listened to it and 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 Joe, you're absolutely right. It sounds like a Kiss album, or it sounds like the Kiss album that should have came out around 1984. And I would go back and I'd listen to it, and I still listen to it this to this day. And I think, oh, I can imagine Gene singing this song, or 
I wonder what it would sound like if Paul was singing this song. Um, and I, and I still do that to today. And, and it, it is, I like it better than, and I'm with you, Joe. I like it better than what, 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 like, like Animal Eyes. It came out in 84. I mean, there's a, there's a, a couple of good songs on Animal Eyes and the rest of it, I, I, I don't think I have it on any kind of playlist for Kiss or anything like that outside of maybe I've had enough and, and Heaven's on Fire. So, Ken, how about you? How how does this album fall into your personal history? Well, the first thing I remember about Wendy O. Williams is I remember seeing her on, uh, I believe it was Tom Snyder, um, late at night one time, and she had he had them on and I remember her destroying a, a, a car, an automobile on the show. Um, and I thought, what the, this is pretty darn crazy stuff. And I didn't think too much about it. I thought, well, that's wild. And the music was kind of wild. And I thought, well, it's all right. It's all right. But, you know, I, I was going to go out and buy it. Um, but then later, and I must have known about this album because, uh, you know, anything produced by Gene Simmons or something related to Kiss, I was going to you know, look for. And I did notice, uh, I remember when that was coming out, it could have been in a Kerrang! I, I first read it about it or, or something like that back then. And, uh, and it's all uh, produced by Gene Sims. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to buy it. You know? <laughs> um, so I bought it and I put it on and I was like, Oh, you know, Holy cow, this thing rocks. And the sound of it is itself is just, like uh, you guys are saying, it, uh, it's produced. It, the, the quality of the sound is better than Animalize. Um, it's just what Animalize should have been produced like. I think Gene Simmons probably got some. Uh, he took some things from Michael James Jackson, I'm guessing, and applied them. You know, some things he may have learned uh, at that time, and maybe even learned from Eddie Kramer or whoever. Uh, and applied those, and I think that's his best produced album that he has done. So that was my first introduction to it, and uh, I remember I thought, you know, this is a pretty darn good album, and it does sound a lot like Kiss, too. Yeah, I think that that's a, a really good thing. Kind of similar to me, I saw the, I think it was the single in a magazine, it was probably Kerrang! or Raw, something uh, wherever I was living at the time, of Wendy my uh you know pretending fellatio with on the uh it's my live single cover you know with the microphone um and i'm like oh okay um better better check that out i didn't know anything about the plasmatics um but i gotta say when i listened to it it didn't do a thing for me her vocals totally turned me off but um it's only looking back years later that i, I you kind of get that a lot of ma this material is recycled from a very interesting source that makes it interesting and i got to give you one other story about this when i got a whole bunch of uh demo tapes from uh the asylum sessions one of the tapes that had a rehearsal of uh, thrills in the night being worked on actually taped over a copy of this album so yeah <laughs> you get halfway through the album and uh you know, it kicks into th the thrills in the night rehearsal. So uh, obviously someone in the Kiss camp didn't mind recycling Wendy or Williams uh, for, you know, a, a, just a rehearsal hall uh, taping. So let's let's get into a little bit about this this album. Obviously, I've got a copy, too. Mine does not have the 
right. sticker because it's a it's a promo. Uh, oh, look at you! Um, I got to say, one of the things that you've already said is that this is probably one of the best sounding records. And and when I consider how bad Wendy sounds to me personally, the rest of it is just crystal clear production. It's absolutely fantastic what Gene did, whether it was built on nothing Michael James Jackson had done. Um, but do we want to talk about any of the non-Kiss-related songs, or do you want to just stick to those? I think the whole album is Kiss-related. Because even if you look at um, the song, uh, let's see... Ready to rock. So that's that's a song written by the Plasmatics guys, but it's Paul Stanley mm-hmm. playing. It basically what reminded me of his guitar solo that he was doing at the time on the Creatures and Lick It Up tour, and it's him just banging around on the guitar, and it has that drum sound from Creatures of the Night, that loud bombastic drums, and it's Wendy singing with it, and it's just Paul jamming. I I find it hard to believe that those guys wrote the song. It, it just sounds like Paul jamming. Because it's just Paul playing guitar and the drums, and I—I I don't know. I—I I argue that this is a full-fledged Kiss album with Wendy Williams singing on it. I mean, "It's My Life" obviously is the demo that everybody listens to, and um, it sounds basically the same. It sounds a lot better with Gene's, I have to say, singing. But uh, yeah, I—I I, I don't know what, what Julian. What, what songs were you going to allude to as far as non-Kiss related? Well, I love sex and rock and roll. Uh, you know, opus in C. What is that? Opus in C major, or is that C minor? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, that's I, a good song. I like yeah, that. It's a great that's song. one of my yeah. favorite no, songs. That ever. that actually, and I'm going to agree with you, Ken, is one of the outstanding tracks on that album for me because there, there, Wendy's voice actually works with the material. But you know, go on about that song. You know, everyone. Oh, loves go it. on about it. Uh, yeah, go on about it. I mean, what grabs you? Uh, I, I don't know what grabs me. It's just, it's just a good song. Uh, it's, it's nothing, you know, flashy about it, but it's nice, uh, 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 a good little hook to it. The, the instrumentation, the music in it is, is just, you know, cool. And it, it sounds good. It, it brings me into it. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I enjoy it. Maybe, uh, you guys have a, a better feel for it. it has that I nice, just enjoy the darn song. It has that nice background piano to it that reminded me right. of Destroyer. That's right. In the background. But yeah, it's a really cool song. It's a slower paced song, but it's yep. still heavy and it still has a good heavy drum beat. I, really just, like got, it. I just got Mitch Weissman on it. So. Yes. Who oh, there's another Kiss yeah, connection. Who was uh, one of Gene's partners and Paul's partners in crime around this period. So, I mean, that's the last song on, on side two. I'm going to also say that Thief in the Night, obviously that was mm. not, had not been done by Kiss by that time. I think that's a stunning version of the song. That's better. Better version, yeah. Yeah, because when that came out on uh, Crazy Nights, I was like, what are they doing? Because it is such, it, I, I saw Thief in the Night as a brother song to War Machine, so heavy, so bombastic. Then you put it on Creatures of the Night, and it's just so wimpy. Sounds like a Bon Jovi cover. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what are they doing? I, I mean, I, I kind of understand what they're doing, but I really think they missed, they, they missed a big opportunity by throwing away a lot of these songs in, on, on Wendy Williams. I mean, it, it could have been, it could have, I'm sorry. 
No, I, I agree, especially uh, It's My yeah. Life, you know. Yeah, I mean, look at her vocal delivery. She's got the demon growl going on that delivery. That yeah. gives, and she gives it more balls than Gene Simmons does all of Crazy Nights. Exactly. You know? And she absolutely delivers the song how it should be delivered with a gruff attitude. Imagine Gene singing in, like, 1977 demon style on Crazy Nights. Oh, yeah. That would have given the song. Instead, he's, like, almost, you know, kind of caressing the microphone i mean instead of beating the shit out of it yeah that's what i was thinking her style i'm sorry uh lonnie but uh the style that she was singing you could tell she followed like a, a vocal track of gene because the mannerisms that she was singing the little ooh yeahs and other things that was gene i, I could imagine gene singing it and i wish gene that was gene's solo album like joe was talking uh, it would have been a perfect Gene Simmons solo album. I mean, it really would have been, especially with his vocals back then. No, you can really hear, just by listening to that song and then listening to the version on Crazy Nights, but listen listen to her sing Beef in the Night, and you're exactly right, Ken, that you can hear Gene coaching her through that song, basically. You know, yeah. that, no, oh, no, it needs to sound like this, and you know, it needs to have more more of a growl to it and just more of a crunch to it, you know, and, and it makes you think that, well, if in comparison to that one song off of crazy nights, how cool it sounded here, you can imagine what it could have sounded like with kiss, you know, you could take some of those other songs off crazy nights or something, you know, and I'm like crazy nights and think, man, just if they would put some balls into some of those songs, how much better, that just that one particular album could have sounded so um that was my takeaway when i heard thief in the night for the first time is i, I bought the the album and i'm like oh it has thief in the night on it well it couldn't possibly maybe, maybe it just says this coincidental the same title and you put it on it's the same song it's like well this sounds better than the kiss version i mean how is how does this version sound better than than the kiss version because you know kiss is up here to me and this is what? So it was really confusing to me the first time I heard it that 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 even sounded better. But you're exactly right, though. That's exactly what I heard the first couple times listening to it. It's like you can hear Gene coaching her through that song, and I guess you hear songs like that, and you hear "It's My Life" off off that album too, and you just think of when we talk about it on the show all the time about missed opportunities for the band <laughs> yeah and i mean it's not just her vocal that's better it's the musical track that's better and the production i mean look what nevison did to obviously which is a pretty rocking song when you listen to gene's production on the wow album you know once it's been neutered by nevison you know and what they wanted for crazy nights you know it's really watered down to, and, and made impotent so you know, it, it's just a, a contrast in styles of what two different people can do with the same song under different circumstances and and yeah she's being coached and that was i think one of the things uh, with the motorhead collaboration that uh eddie complained about you know that she wasn't getting it on the first or the second that she needed a few goes to get through a song you know to really be able to to give it character and you know you know so what she she nailed it on that one for sure joe so well back to the album i just wanted to just say, if you think about it, well, it, it's it's actually a fact. So you have Gene Simmons producing it and playing on every song. You have Paul Stanley on it. You have Eric Carr on a song. Vinnie Vincent wrote a song. You have Ace Freely playing on a song. 
What do you call that? <laughs> I call that a Kiss album. I, did <laughs> Did Vinny play on that on that last song? Ain't none of your business. I mean, it, to me, it sounds like a solo that he would. Well, it sounds like um, the guitar. Uh, I'm blanking on his name now. Um, not what's his uh, Michael Ray. Mm. It sounds like he's basically just copying Vinny's style okay. of guitar playing on the album. But um, yeah, I, you know, it it has every member and then some on the album participating in some way. To me, it, it seems to me, and it, they, there may be more Kiss playing on this than we really know or think or those who led us to believe. I think they've input a lot more than they, they are telling us based on so what I, I'm hearing. So you go back to like, you know, the 80s Gene Simmons garbage that came out. Do you think that Paul put, put uh, some type of... Uh, he, he prevented Gene from releasing some good material and had him throw it on this album. Yeah, why, why didn't, why wasn't this my, it's my life released or why weren't these other songs like thief in the night produced in that heavy way? And then Gene maybe just threw his hands up and said, okay, here, here you go. Just, I'm going to write this. If, if you don't like what I have here, I don't know. I, I can't figure it out because this album, I, I, I love this album. I listen to it all the time. Yeah, well, I think It's My Life was a thing where they, it's a good song. I think it. they thought it didn't fit the the rest of the album. Um, and maybe it was too too hooky and they were trying to be, no, we're this heavy metal band. We're just going to tear you up. You know, we're not, we're kind of going away from the pop unmasked or whatever thing that we were doing in the past and kind of trying to prove themselves. I think, unfortunately they didn't release it as a, as a song on the album, but I think that was their, their call there to not uh, put it on. Yeah, but, but I think Gene, well, what, rec- Gene recognized that then because it comes out on wow and it's a single for the album and oh, it's a video and it's yeah. get, it's getting the full treatment, you know, and, and yeah, it clashes with creatures of the night because it is so it, it's got pop sensibilities. Lonnie, but why not put it on Lick It Up then? Because Lick It Up is more catchy than Creatures of the Night. I mean, he yeah. recognized it was a good tune, obviously, because he put it on, because he made it the single off that album. But mm-hmm. Lick It Up is much more catchy than Creatures of the Night is. Creatures of the Night, yes, it is ballsy, it is heavy. There was a band with a mission statement that we are going back to our roots, and not even their roots even, because it, Creatures of the Night is even heavier and, and ballsier than any of the original six albums are, in my opinion. Oh, too. yeah, it is. So, you know, why take that? I mean, he knew he had something with that song. Mm-hmm. Why? And, and I don't know, maybe maybe it's because Gene was, maybe, you know, Gene was losing interest in Kiss at no, the time. No, but you're, you're, you said the wrong name, I think. You know, this is a Gene and Paul composition. Mm-hmm. I think it's a Paul reason why it wasn't used. I agree because look, it shows up on this in on a Gene project. So mm-hmm. if Gene's willing to use it uh, here, it, it kind of suggests to me that Paul has a reason for not reason. wanting it. So. Yeah, it went, you know, this, so this came out between "Lick It Up" and "Animalize," and when "Animalize" came out, I was like, "Oh, come on!" You know, because first of all, I was th- I was I was just praying that Ace was rejoining the band. 
<laughs> and I and I liked Heaven on Fire. I thought it was okay, but I was like, really? I, I thought there was going to be a you know this W the W O W album was a transition even further from Lick It Up to the next step. And I think they could have taken some of Animalize and high, you know put a It's My Life on it, and it would have been a much better album. Yeah, without a doubt. I totally agree that it could have been revisited on that album and replaced any one of Gene's songs on that album, and he'd still get the true. writing credit. And, you know, even with Mark playing guitar, it still would have been, yeah, it would have been a little bit more Bumblebee-ish, but, you know, it would have had the attitude, and it would have had that pop sensibility that I think is missing from Animalize. You know, Heavens on Fire is anthemic, but it doesn't really have any pop. So... Mm. You know, they could have also like having having to keep look over at the track listing here because that's how unfamiliar I really am with this <laughs> album. You know, Thief in the Night would have been better on Animal Eyes by far if you take the production of how Paul did on that album. It was really kind of you know one of the better ones that he did. You know, so both of those songs could have saved. Or I'm, it's a double platinum album, so it really doesn't need that much saving, but really could have saved Gene at least. Yeah, you know, I know you're not a big fan. of Julian of the version of It's My Life they cut in '98 on the Psycho no, Circus. Jesus, no. <laughs> but why do you why do you think they did that? Why Gene. do you think they 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 cut that song the way they did and, it, and and it's polished and it sounds good like it was you know it sounds really good it sounds on the box it it sounds like it was prepared for release but they decided not to release it. Why do you think they decided to revisit that song at that point in time? Because Tommy remembered when Black and Blue recorded it and reminded Gene what a good song it was. <laughs> so, yeah. Simple enough. <laughs> Sorry, Lonnie. <laughs> and I have no idea if that's the case, but, you know, <laughs> someone probably said, uh, guys, look at the material that we've got for Psycho Circus. Um, we need something that's. Let's see what else is there. <laughs> yeah, we need something that's good. <laughs> Remember, I mean that that song could have replaced a lot of other songs on Psycho Circus. Um, it could have replaced any one of Paul's songs, pretty much. That's what Paul maybe Paul had an influence on that one too. So yeah, you know, rather than like Pledge Allegiance or Raise Your Glasses, it's my life. I mean, come on, Gene and Paul co-written song again. When you revisit Psycho Circus, what would have made more sense? that song so it just made too much sense and that's why it's not on there right <laughs> yeah and it's not like everyone they could it's their song and it's not like the wendy o williams album sold two million copies and people would say well they already did this yeah. they could have released it it would have been a kiss song but can we go track by track on the album and analyze like you talk about i love sex and rock and roll i know it's a written by the Plasmatics members, but it sounds like Creatures of the Night to me, right off the bat. That drums, and it sounds like it was Gene Simmons' song. Um, it's My Life is a Kiss song. Uh, Priestess is interesting because it's written by the Plasmatics guys, but it does sound like some Kiss demos that I've heard in the past. Um, like, uh, it... I'm trying to think the one demo. I'm blinking on the name of the song. It has kind of this that same feel. And then Thief of the Thief in the Night, of course, was released later on Crazy Nights. That's a Gene Simmons song, and it just totally rocks here. Uh, Opus, great tune that we talked about. I like to go back to Ready to Rock. When I heard it, and I just reminded me of when Paul Stanley during those couple tours would 
diddle around with his guitar. And I thought it was so cool. I'm uh, playing uh, Priestess in the background here. Um, I can't pick up where that sound, that comes from. But listening to the music, you're, I, I think you're probably right. You know, that just sounds so Kiss-like. Yeah. It's actually uncanny now. So it's either, you know, the, the you guy... Gene singing that. Yeah, Gene's, like, yes. like Joe said, he exactly. is all over this album. And then you get the bump and grind with Ace Freely's solo. And that's, that's, that's the highlight for me. That's a good solo, too. That's yeah. a classic. I mean, it, it's... Not you know outstanding, but it's Ace and whatever Ace does, I like. <laughs> so it's uh, and, and it got my hopes up that he was rejoining the band. So that's one of the big questions I've always wanted to know: is how how did he just ask Ace to come in? Where you know, yeah, from what I understand, he simply called Ace and said, "Hey, Ace, I got a song. I, I'd really like you to do the solo on." And Ace was in the mood. But what was going on in '84? They were doing the final separation, so was there a little bit of leverage from, you know, that kind of situation of Ace really exiting the band, the partnership, you know, that he was able to do this. So, you know, th that's my understanding, simply that Gene asked, Ace acquiesced. And so you don't think there was any, Vinny, they were, they were done with Vinny, they wanted Ace back in the fold instead of finding Mark St. John? Uh that was something to lead to that? Not at, the, not at that point. At that point, okay. you know, I think Ace is, you know, the Comet's alive at that point. You know, he's working with Richie. He's working with Anton, uh, Arthur. You know, he's got a band together. They're writing stuff. They're writing stuff like Animal, you know, and, and all that classic early audio video. And, and I think Gene and Paul were to a point at that point, too, that they were in the mode of, trying to prove they can do it without Ace and Peter and without the makeup at that point, too, and trying to move forward and not back. Um, but I can see Julian's point that maybe there was some kind of leverage that they had that, well, you have to come in and do this solo. Yeah, maybe making peace. You know, come on. You know, Ace, you're leaving. You're you're leaving the partnership. Come to, come come into the studio. Do a solo. Come on. You know, old time's sake. You know, I don't think we can ask Ace because his his memory seems really bad, and this would have been five seconds in you know pretty soon after the summer of '83. There's yeah, a reason he doesn't remember it well. The solo is phoned in, but it's still Ace. Yeah, yeah I, I mean it's like yeah. Ace, Ace on Fridays. You know, when he hits the solo in the oath, and it's just every little bit of Ace Freely's you know tactical toolbox you know yeah. of, of just little guitar tricks you know it's there's nothing there it's just acisms you know that he... i'm sorry julie I, I wanted to agree with you that that friday's appearance blew me away that was awesome when they played the uh, oath that was great yeah i was, I was watching that yesterday I'm yeah. like, you know just when he turns over and he gestures to the guy to either switch his guitar or whatever you yeah. know his uh his pedals for the solo and he just rips into it yeah i love it but that's you know what i get out of bump and grind that it's just ace okay okay curly you know fiddly diddly you know there's a solo oh wow that sounds good you know take a few and comp it together and boom well i i was hoping against hope he was coming back into the band at that point so <laughs> When it was Mark St. John, I was like, ah. Oh. You know, of, he does that solo instead of a mic drop, it's just a guitar drop. And, and that's how it's done. Walks out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. So after that, you have Legends Never Die, which is written by Eric Carr and, and uh, Gene Simmons, and nice acoustic ballad. 
And then you finish up with Ain't None of Your Business written by Kiss Again with Vinnie Vincent writing it. And I, that's a great tune, too. Yeah, Legend legend Never Dies. I mean, Mickey Free, I mean, what an insane guitarist that guy is. I, I mean, he is one of the unsung heroes of guitar playing. If you think about what he, he was discovered, he was playing in a band called um, Smokehouse that opened for Kiss and Nugent in 75, August 75, and I can't remember. So somewhere up in your guys' neck of the woods, uh, Illinois, uh, Iowa, somewhere around there. It begins with an I, probably. Um, so, I mean, he's a Native American, number one. So a, a very unusual chap. Um, and Gene obviously did some insane writing with Mickey. Um, and Adam Mitchell obviously comes into the picture. And Legend, or The Legend Never Dies. I mean, that was written for creatures. It there's supposedly a creature's demo of it so you know that to me is the one track that has always been suggested was the bed track from kiss simply taken and wendy put on top of it and it's and it's a really damn good song as well i mean it's you know if you think about only you or some of the a world without heroes Mm -hmm. gene's really strong ballad see you tonight i mean it's right up there with it again to be thrown away on an album like this, um, you know, again, no disrespect meant to Wendy um, or the Plasmatics for that matter. It, I mean, it's really too good a track to be thrown away. And then it finishes up with Ain't None of Your Business, which is a Kiss song. I mean, Vinnie Vincent, uh, Gene Simmons, I think Eric Carr yep. is writing Eric credit Carr. on it. Yeah. Yep. And the solo sounds just like Vinnie, as you said. So maybe it is. Or they're trying to get that sound. So I, I just see this, like I said, you have Vinnie Vincent involved, Gene Simmons all over the place, Paul Stanley's on it, Eric Carr's on it, Ace Freely's on it. I call it a Kiss album. <laughs> I, I, I know Wendy's singing. And I don't, the singing of Wendy doesn't bother me that much because I was getting into the plasmatics a lot. I knew it is what it is. But um, there's a whole story to that, too. I mean, it's interesting how Kiss and the Plasmatics, I believe through that Creatures tour, then became kind of interwoven in some respects. I know Jean Beauvoir uh, wrote, co-wrote songs on some albums in the 80s. Uh, I believe he was present when Paul Stanley wrote Tears Are Falling. And he played bass on Kiss albums. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, he's then connected with Mickey Free and Paul Stanley, Crown of Thorns. So, I mean, what branches out of this is, uh, just to go back to Wendy a bit, you know, next album, Commander of Chaos, you know, it's got the live version of Ain't None of Your Business on it again. So, um, and I think more interesting for Commander of Chaos is Party on that song, which is uh, Tolliver and Stotts. That's the song that was married up with Deadly Weapons to become Love's Deadly Weapon on Kisses Asylum. So, you know, the, the, the... the connections with wow continue much deeper yeah definitely so and it was it, i yeah it, it's interesting because obviously paul stanley and uh jean bavois struck up a friendship and he has a lot of co- he has a few co-writing uh credits on the albums but um yeah it's it's definitely an important part of history that tour and then came out with the ww album and then the other songs that are written uh, by that team, I believe. Um, so the song you just mentioned on Asylum, uh, Love is Deadly Weapon. Mm-hmm. So uh, some of the, 
Wes Beach, I believe, wrote that as well with Gene Simmons. I think he has a writing credit on it. I have to go back and yeah, check. Yeah, what but, happened is Party is a – if you listen to Party on Commander of Chaos, half of that song is taken and added to Deadly Weapons, which is they didn't write together with the guys from Wendy's band. They just took the melody <laughs> for the new verse, the musical melody, and gave them a songwriting credit on Love's a Deadly Weapon. When they took uh, the 1980 kiss or 1981 kiss demo, and they just—it's just two things thrown in a pause. Typical Simmons, you know. T- yeah. You know, here's here's someone. I like your idea. Here's fifty bucks, <laughs> or who knows what, um, <laughs> you know, and add it together, and then you've got a song. So he didn't. I don't think he ever sat in a room writing that, or or maybe they did say, you know, hey, we've got this song. You know, it sound if you add it to that. Well, who knows? So. Yeah, it's interesting you brought that up. I don't know if you remember, this is totally out there, but um, there was a big feud between Madonna and Elton John a few years ago. And what the feud started with is Madonna, that's what Madonna does. She has songwriters come to her with these songs, and she says, all right, you could either release this on your own, or I'll put my name on it, and you'll sell millions of copies, but I'm a co-writer. And Elton John had a big issue with that because he actually plays an instrument writes his own songs. So obviously a lot of artists do that and, and Kiss does that as well. Wait, Kiss does that? <laughs> do, you, do you mean all those Peter Chris credits on his solo album were all a result of lawyers? Well, <gasps> the Paul Stinger. Shot at Peter's <laughs> not a yeah. No, that's not a shot no. at Peter. That's just true. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I've, got, so, I've got memos. <laughs> how would you, I mean, where, does, where does this album stand up with you guys? Well, you know what? I'm still not a fan of Wendy's vocals because if I want to listen to that style of singing, I'll listen to Motorhead. Um, you know, one Lemmy's enough. Lemmy with tits. Uh, well, okay. Um, well, I have a good story about that too. But go on. The story about tits? What? Where, where does where does the I mean, from the the musical and history perspective, there's just too much on this album that is so connected with the band. So many question marks about how much of this album is strictly stuff that was lifted from creature sessions um it's 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 too important i mean it's kind of like the enigma in the catalog that isn't part of the catalog right Ken, did they open for kiss on the creature store when you saw when you saw it no i saw he saw a crappy band called crew didn't you i saw a crew three times in a row motherfucker <laughs> you saw a crew yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well so the plasmax would have been interesting with my recollection, though, I, yeah, the crew, I think I go with Motley Crue at that point. <laughs> yeah, but the crew, they they had that Aerosmith thing back then where they were so, and so many chemicals their playing wasn't that great live. I mean, there was the energy was there. Well, this but, is when I'm on the Creature Tour. They were just starting out, so they were hungry yeah. and they were they were pretty darn good. They may, may have been chemicals, but they were they rocked. No, I, I no, I understand. Yeah, they hadn't gone out with Oz yet, and they weren't snorting ants. They weren't as bad as they got later on, yeah. So when but, where that, where, I'm sorry. Where does that show rank for you, Ken? You see Motley Crue and Kiss in, on the Creatures of the Night tour. I mean, I, is, that like the, is that the best concert you ever saw? Mm, boy, that's, that's, that's a hard one. I, I'm going to say it's, it's probably my top three. It could, you know, I could move it to one sometimes, but, you know. Yeah. Well, Even, Kiss and the Plasmatics are definitely yeah. in my top five, and I've seen hundreds People of shows. People who saw that Creatures tour always put those, that, that, 
that that it's either like their favorite kiss show they ever saw or one of their favorite kiss shows they ever well, saw. Lonnie, was, hold on a second. You guys keep going. All right, Spani, to address that point, we go to see them in Dubuque, Iowa, and it's at this small, I don't know, it, it's its maybe larger than a high school gym. Really? And it looked like, I mean, we you, if, if Eric Carr, Eric Carr threw his drumstick and hit the floor. He threw it over the crowd. It, that's sure. how empty it was. Wow. But that being said, they put on a show like they were in, at Tiger Stadium. I mean, it was yeah. it was amazing. They just, no matter if it was in front of 2,000 fans or 50, 100,000 fans, they always kicked ass and always put on that show. And that's what I really appreciated about it. Because when we got there, you know, I had no idea. We had no idea what to expect. We didn't know if the album was going to sell well. We had no idea if it was going to be Ace Freely there or Vinnie Vincent. And we show up, and there's hardly anybody there. And we're like, oh, no, what's going to happen? And then the Plasmatics put on a great show. And then Kiss hits the stage, and they just played like they were playing in front of 100,000 people. And it was great. And it was like it was, it was almost like our own private Kiss show. Okay. And they, but they, they pull out all stops. It was, it was fantastic. And I think that's one of the reasons why people really like that tour because they weren't drawing the big crowds, but they were pu- still kicking ass. They really were. So where, where was that in terms of the, uh, the, uh, Uh-oh. sorry. <laughs> I saw it. That's interesting. <laughs> sorry. Mailman showed up in the middle of this. Um, Joe, where was that in, in terms of how often you'd seen the band live to that point? Uh, that was my second time. So the first time I saw him was on the Dynasty tour at the International Amphitheater, which no longer exists. One of the biggest dumps you'd ever want to go to. Um, and uh, they, I think Judas Priest opened up for him in that show. Uh, and I, I actually did not like the Dynasty show because they played, they, you know, I wanted to hear Strutter and I wanted to hear uh, 100,000 Years and Parasite and they were playing all these pop tunes. Um, when I heard I was made for loving you, my heart dropped. I mean, I, I was like, no way. What's happening to my band? So then uh, next time they went on tour was uh, Creatures, and I was a freshman at the University of Iowa. And uh, another friend of mine, we were the only two guys in our dorm that liked heavy metal. And we're like, you want to go? And like, yeah. And we we actually found someone else. We drove two hours. Went, got to the show, and as I said, it was empty. It was Eric Carr threw a drumstick. It went over the crowd and hit the floor, <laughs> and people <laughs> ran in the back to grab the drumstick. But they put on a hell of a show, and it was fantastic. And then I've seen them numerous times after that with makeup, without makeup, with the original members, without the original members. So that was the second time I saw Kiss, and it was one of the best by far. So, Joe, you're, you're the same as me. Uh, Dynasty was my first one also. And then Creatures. So Creatures was an improvement over the Dynasty show. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it was just something different. It was it was a a hungry kiss, a more uh, I guess sinister, I guess you could say, evil kiss. Now, uh, did you... compared to Dynasty, which kind of toned it down for the kiddies. Um, now, were you wondering if he, did you know Vinny was in the band at that point? Because yeah, we I, I keep no trying idea. to remember back then. I think we had an ad. I think I still have the actual ad out of the what was the, what we called the pink section out of the San Francisco Chronicle here, and it, there was an ad for Creatures of the Night tour, and it had Vinny in there in the drawing, and I thought uh, the Ace changes makeup. I, I didn't know what to expect. And we got there, like, uh, I bought the tour book, 
you know, when we first got there, we got right. into the show, and I'm looking at it like, okay, they well, got they somebody had both, Aces they had not. Ace and Vinny in my tour book. They had, they had a page with Yeah, Ace. Yeah, they had pictures of the past. Of, you know, they even had, I think, uh, Peter Chris in it even, Peter I think, Chris didn't they? Um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, but then they had him in the, in the group picture, I think, when he first opened it. Uh, and I was like, well, okay, it's a new guy. <laughs> we'll see what he can do. But as an opening act, I'll tell you the plasmatics. You know, as I said, when I, when I saw him on the uh, SCTV with John Candy and I heard Metal Priestess, I was like, wow, this is great. And then they came out with Coup d'etat, and it was so heavy, and they were a great opening band. So that made a great show as well. And then just, you know, they, they started this relationship, which started with this WW album, and uh, then Paul writing with members and Gene writing with members and yeah, but it was a great show, really great show. What was the the crowd, the Kiss crowd reaction to the Plasmatics on the Creatures tour? I'm curious, were they just like, eh, okay, we saw Kiss do this before, or was there a, a kind of a wow factor? You know, no pun intended. No, they, the crowd enjoyed it. It was as I said, you know, I think if you look in the uh, Kiss Alive Forever, they might list the attendance a little over three thousand people. But it seemed like a hell of a lot less when I was there. Um, but the crowd was into it because they rocked. I mean, it was loud. It was a, a lot of movement on stage. It was just a great opening act. So, yeah, they got a great reception. Yeah, and what, what sort of stage show did uh, Wendy put in? I mean, was So that... it, was, it wasn't much of a stage show. It was the uh, instruments in front of the, uh, the cannon and everything. And, but she still, at the end, she, they, I think they went more of in a medley of the first. I didn't like the earlier albums. I didn't get into them until Metal Priestess. Uh, aside from Master Plan, I liked that song. But I think they went kind of into a medley with Master Plan and Butcher Baby as their encore, and that's when she smashed the TV and everything, and, and then they went off the stage. Um, I, I guess I can look it up on Wiki Setlist. Well, no, they can't find Plasmatics on there. That's a great resource, by the way, Wiki Setlist. It's great looking back on what uh, bands played. But, um, yeah, they got a good reaction. They put on – I mean, they, they were in front of the giant Kiss, show, Kiss stage, but they put on a good show, and the, they got a good reaction from the crowd. They really did. And I loved it. I, I, I think these – you know, that album and, of course, this – the W.O.W. album are two favorites of mine. Uh, Commander of Chaos I liked a little bit, but I thought it was kind of a letdown. And then I saw him on the Maggots tour, and yeah, it was all right, but – uh, I thought the heyday was when they were touring with Kiss and writing with Kiss, and the relationship was there. Well, Magus was basically it for her, wasn't it? You know? Yeah, yeah, it was. And unfortunately, um, yeah, it's, it's something I feel strongly about too—depression and, and and suicide. And and I don't know what happened there, but unfortunately, uh, she really was set on taking her own life, and it's tragic how that ended. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, that, that was. I mean, I remember when the news came out. I mean, you know, it, it's sad, especially that someone hit so far down that they couldn't couldn't find any way to hold on, and you know, it's just really sad. Yeah, but it seemed like she was. It, it, it you know, it, it shows that it's just the disease because what I, I mean, I'm just what I've the research I've done and read. I mean, it seemed like they had a pretty. They were leading a pretty normal life in stores, Connecticut. She had a health food store and. It's. I don't think it had anything to do with her career failure or anything. I think it's. It, it's actually a disease, and um, that's what led to it. But it's sad it ended that way, because I, I obviously I'm a huge fan. Yeah, sad. Well, on that 
positive note. Yeah, I will drink an antidepressant depressive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ne- never, never a good when I'm uh, having a beer or two while while we tape. All right, so what else is left to be said about this album? Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, I listened to the whole thing yesterday. I didn't skip a track. I didn't skip it. I, I thought, and I hadn't heard it in a while, pulled it out and listened to it. And, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, yes, her, her vocals are something you have to get used to. I mean, the first time I listened, I was like, whoa, this is <laughs> pretty, you know, her vocals are something else. But, uh, after, you know, listen to it a few times, you know, you're just used to it. That's her style. And, uh, but the music is, you know, it's just good rock music and I can't down it. You know, I, I'd listen to it probably more than Crazy Nights, you know. Um, I'd rather listen well, to that than Crazy Nights. Yeah, yeah Ken, listening, listening to something more than Crazy Nights is not much of a challenge. That, <laughs> okay. That's like saying, you know, I, I'm going to listen to something more than Unmasked. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, so, actually, actually no, I'm more likely to listen to Unmasked and Crazy Nights, so there we go. I agree. Um, that's a toss-up for me, really. Um, I don't know. Yeah, Unmasked is pr- pretty weak, but so is Crazy Nights. Uh, yeah, you know what? Unmasked at least gets a bit of a groove going when you, you listen to stuff like Torpedo Girl, uh, Talk to Me, Easy As It Seems. You know, I love that song. It, it, you know, it just... Gets a bit of a swagger going. Is that you? Is rock? And then there's just complete crap. Or you know, maybe like Crazy Nights. Naked City is good. Hmm? Yeah, Naked City is good. And what makes what about your all that I want? Oh god. <laughs> the demo version is better. Yeah, the demo version is much better. You know, that brings up an interesting point, though. I know, I know, you guys touched this, touched on this on past episodes. When I listened to Unmasked and heard songs like Torpedo Girl. And uh, tomorrow in that, I knew it was not Peter Chris playing on that album. I knew it had to be someone else. And same thing with when I put on Creatures, I knew Ace Freely was not on that album. I was like, there's no way he's playing. Because the, the, the drumming was really good on Unmasked. And the guitar playing, it was kind of weird on Creatures. Like, kind of cut and paste. All over the place. Yeah, exactly. You had one guy, like even on the Creatures of Night song, they had one guy playing the one part and Vinny playing the other part. And yeah, so, but I knew Ace wasn't on that album. I just wanted to, how did you guys feel about, like when you heard Unmasked or Creatures, did you realize that it wasn't Ace, it wasn't Peter? I was like, there's no way Peter can play a double bass like that. I didn't know the difference becoming a fan in 1985. Ignorance is bliss before the internet came along and ruined all our dreams. Yeah. What about you, Ken? Though, because you 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 went out and bought creatures when it came out. Did did you realize that it was was an ace? Uh, I you... I knew it sounded different, but I I took the cover for what it was telling me. Sure. You know, it said Ace Freely on guitar on the the liner notes or whatever, and and his face is on the cover. I said, well, yeah, it sounds a little different, but I took it as I was like, well, this is Ace. You know, I thought. Well, you know? Did you think it was weird that Ace didn't sing a song on Creatures after he had sung a few mm-hmm. on Dynasty and sung a few on Unmasked and all of no, a sudden? No, because I, oh. I think I've said this once before. Is I thought he had kind of uh, shot his wad for. 
<laughs> where he he used up his is you know like on the solo album. I mean, he sure. hadn't had anything, and then all of a sudden the solo album he had all the songs, and then he had a couple songs on Dynasty, and then a, a more on on Masked, right? And uh, maybe yeah. and then another one, uh, The Elder, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the Elder. I thought, well, he was probably you know stretching Ooh. for. Exactly. There you yeah. go. I can't wait for the book later. <laughs> so this year. I remember. Um, what book? And, uh, and so yeah, it's. I thought he just you know didn't have any uh, sure. input as far as music. So after between the elder and creatures, Kiss. I mean, obviously, Kiss hit rock bottom, and Paul Stanley was giving interviews to like these fanzines. I would subscribe to. I, I subscribed to a fanzine called uh, Kickass Monthly, and a guy's name was. Bob Muldowney, and it was just, you know, he just typed it on a typewriter and stapled it together, and I would send him concert reviews from Chicago, and he put it in there, and Paul Stanley actually gave him an interview, because he was desperate to get that hardcore metal fan back, and I remember him in there saying that, you know, Ace is definitely part of the band, this new album's gonna rock, so we kind of, he kind of gave the impression Ace would be on the album. I know he'd be on the album cover. They said that Rocket Ride would be part of the set list of the Creatures tour, and none of that happened, obviously. Oh, but, and that's a crime against humanity. Rocket Ride never being performed by Kiss. Exactly. Oh, yeah. uh, by the way, I was at that uh, Aragon Ballroom show where they opened up for YNT, and uh, they always mention that they did the Live Plus One. Great show, uh, and I would say 75% of the crowd, including myself, left when YNT hit the stage. Everyone's there to see Ace Freely. He had a pretty good crowd at the Aragon Ballroom, but it was a really good show. Yeah, I wouldn't have stayed for YNT. Yeah. <laughs> well, some of their older stuff was okay, but by that point, it was when they were you – know, the first album was all right, but uh, the first YNT album, when they transitioned from yesterday and today to YNT, that uh, – yeah, for for me, they were always one of those like wannabe '70s bands that never quite made it, like Quiet Riot. You know, right. except except they never had that big hit that uh, took them, you know, over the finish line. So they were just the perpetual advertisement for never giving up. Always, you know, they're they're like the American Anvil, and I'm gonna get killed for saying that. Anvil's much better. <laughs> um, you know, An Anvil for what they are never gave up. They never made it, but you you probably couldn't tell whatever his name is uh, lips that sure. you know your, your life <laughs> yeah. is a failure. But you know, there they are. They're still trying. You know, the same for Y and T. I mean. They had some mm. good songs. There's a few good radio. We hear it on uh, The Bone in San Francisco quite a bit. Gets uh, Y&T play just because it's a Bay Area band, and they, they still do throw a bone out there to the local bands every now and then. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> but I wouldn't have stayed. That's no, no, a lot of people think. We stayed for a couple songs, and they were like, you know, we, we're here to see Ace Freely, and it was a great show. really was, and I agree with you. They needed to put that whole show out live. Not just a portion of it. So, yeah. were the Plasmatics the fav your favorite band you ever saw open for Kiss? You know, that's a good question. Um, well, Judas Priest was. I'm a huge Judas Priest fan, so it's a toss up between Judas Priest. Probably, I'd have to say, as far as a body of work, it's Judas Priest. But um, the Plasmatics definitely put on a great show. And I'm trying to think of all the other bands that opened up. I mean, you know, that one tour with Motley Crue. That's the only time. That, so back in, what was that, 2010, when they toured with Motley Crue? 2012. 
2012, yeah. I think that was one of the only times that actually Kiss was outdone when I saw them. Uh, that Molly Crew put on such a great show yeah. on that one. So if you're going to that, I would have to say Motley yeah. Crew. But back for back in the day, Plasmatics or Judas Priest, definitely. Okay, I gotta. I I love Judas Priest, so I gotta ask you. I mean, it, it, the following tour, I think I it was Vandenberg and someone oh, yeah, else. Vandenberg and I, oh, yes. I saw you know Queensway. I had to drive up to Milwaukee on the Animalized tour. They didn't play Chicago, so I drove up to Milwaukee. And Queensryche opened up for him, and they put on a good show. That was during the Warning album, and uh, I thought that was a good opening act as well. Uh, Ted, you know what? It's I'm, yeah, they they had a lot of good opening act. Ted Nugent put on a great show a couple times um, because he just compacted his show into like forty five minutes and just ripped out one, you know, dog eat dog, free for all, and he had a headset on and just put on a great show there as well. So that, that's a tough question, but Plasmatics definitely did a great show. And I want to get back to my tangent. Priest. Please. Stained Class or Sad Wings of Destiny? Ooh, I love Stained Class. Good one. There you go. Yeah. You're all right. Yeah, I love it. I listen to it all the time. You, you can come back on the show again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you passed. Yeah. <laughs> No, there's a couple of bands that Kiss opened for. Uh, I'm sorry, that opened for Kiss. And, you know, Priest opening in 79, you know, that everything that comes before then is, to me, the better Priest than everything that came after. I'm one of those guys who, for me, British Steel is the end rather than the beginning. I mean, obviously, they, they broke big in the States with Screaming for Vengeance. The same goes for another opening act, ACDC. Everything that came before when they opened, um, you know, for Kiss. So what they they opened seventy eight or seventy seven. So Power Age is my all time favorite ACDC album. I'll I take agree. I'll take yeah. that over I Highway to Hell or Back in Black any day of the week. Um, you know, Kiss has been fortunate. They've had some really really good opening acts. I won't consider Motley Crue an opening act in two thousand and twelve. My feeling then was Motley totally blew them off the stage with their show and maybe it was because i hadn't seen motley in a couple of years at that point uh, i've seen them quite a bit that when yeah, they came the out they, yeah it was the same kiss yeah, shit over and over and here was the crew they did a procession going from around the stage up and this is a concord i think you know mm -hmm. and then down yeah. the middle and they had nikki doing a flamethrower and Mm -hmm. You know, it, it was just pomp and circumstance. And, you know, Vinny only sang half the vocals as always. But, you know, just to sit there and listen to Mick for the whole show for me was, you know, just mm -hmm. awesome. You know, I, I love Mick Mars. So, yeah. You know, yeah. Motley's been one of the best opening acts. I obviously never got to see them in 80, what, 83. 83. Yeah. And, and, and Tommy had the roller coaster, you know, drums, drum set, you know. And then and it was really cool. And, you know, my brother and I were, were up close and they during one of the songs they came out and they had like these huge like squirt guns. My brother and I just got yeah, soaked because, you know, they just hosed you down, basically. And we're like, <laughs> like, show was over. Like, shit, you know, we hadn't seen Motley in a few years. Like, like just like kind of like you, Julian, we hadn't seen him in a few years. Like, that, was, that was a lot of fun. And then Kiss came out, came out and another lower down from the ceiling while well, I... I've seen that gag a few times by this point, you know, and they'd advertise it. Oh yeah, we're going to have this new stage. And it was just amp stacked in the different arrangement. And it was just like, 
That was that was that tour was one of the more forgettable. For me, it was a more forgettable Kish shows because it's like, just like nothing, nothing happened. You yeah, know the Crazy I mean? Nights tour was worse. <laughs> it was. Crazy Nights tour was pretty bad, and I think Ted opened up for him on that show, and Ted blew him away because, like I said, he just it was doggy dog. It was a lot of free for all songs. Bam, bam, bam. Just got out of there, and then Paul came out there, and you know they did Crazy they had, Nights. They had, but I wanted to ask Anthrax you, open on that other one. They, uh, Julian and um, Lonnie, you, you got in. I'm an old dude, so I got in, you know, in the Kiss in '75. You guys got into it in the '80s, in the uh, non-makeup era. How did you guys start getting into the back catalog, the stuff I grew up with? Lonnie, why don't you go first? Um, for me, it my first, the first album I ever had was Animalize when I was pretty young because my bro- my older brother was into him and he had creatures and he had destroyer so those three albums were like the staples for me when i was really young um and then i really really got into him by the time i was in, in junior high and like i was saying earlier like about the the uh, the plasmatics album that wasn't on my radar because my radar was i'd go to the the um the music store there used to be this thing called music stores and you would and i would look at these different kiss albums and like oh well i have destroyer i have creatures and then smashes thrashes and hits came out and, and one either my brother or i one of us got that for christmas and you know then you know it's 88 so what do you do you go to your dual cassette recorder and just tape it for your brother and then we both have it you know what i mean and but i would was just fascinated by the back catalog of kiss and like i can remember being in junior high school and for a couple of years, while I was trying to collect the back catalog, on my Christmas list every year would be any Kiss album I don't have. Because I just was obsessed with, and I don't have any money. It's not like I'm, you know, I'm like 10 years old. I'm not even cutting lawns yet at this point to go out and buy a Kiss album. You know, then once I was able to do that, then I'll go back and get the back catalog. But it was important for me for a long time to get that cataloging and become more and more acquainted, you know, and it was just a different time because now if you want the back catalog of a band, you don't even have to buy it on, on iTunes. You can just go on Spotify and just start listening to it, you know? And, and I think that's a lost, I think that's something lost that today's music fan will never understand is looking at songs from your favorite band's back catalog. And like, well, here's hotter than hell. And, well, I have, you know, this song on, on this on this compilation, but I wonder what Coming Home sounds like, and I wonder what Strange Ways, I wonder what that's about. So it, it was really a different time for me in the 80s to try to catch up on that back category. It was really important, and it took a while until I was able to, to come, because my mom and dad weren't, my mom was not a big fan of Kiss, so I would have any Kiss song I don't have on my Christmas list for a while, but not that I would get it for Christmas either, so... <laughs> I know you brought that up. It reminded me of a story. I came home with Black Sabbath Paranoid, and this is, you know, I'm in maybe eighth grade, and my dad was convinced I was going to be a drug addict. And I never never even touched the stuff ever, but because I bought a Black Sabbath album, he thought he lost me as a son. So I could relate to where you you were telling your stories about your mom and Kiss and everything. Yeah. So, Julian, how did you get into the back catalog? And you know, and that's something I'll agree with Lonnie on that. It's the 
the fun of discovery is gone. That it's there's no reward nowadays in being able to go to Spotify and listen to an artist catalog. When I got into the band, my I thought my local source for music was Kmart. Down, I was living in Binghamton. <laughs> this was down at Vestal Plaza for anyone who's familiar with the area, and that's where I got Asylum. And when I started getting magazines, that usually I think they were my sisters, and seeing other albums mentioned by the band, I got interested in kind of keeping a notebook of, you know, here are the releases and figuring out when they were from. And it got me to discover that there were actually record stores because Kmart was not a record store. Uh, you know, it was a general purpose, everything there. Um, so I discovered Music City in Binghamton and I'd go in there and I'd look, I wasn't that interested in LPs because my parents had a shitty 1970s record player, you know, like that one in Detroit Rock City, only worse. Um, that had gouged many of my mother's Crystal Gale albums. Um, <laughs> so I was looking at cassettes, and they were on the wall. And you'd look at the catalog. 85, obviously, was when the Black Spine, the Black J Card reissues came out. It was the first time Polygram had really properly reissued the whole Kiss catalog um, on cassette. So I was sitting there, and there was like a stack of different Kiss titles. I was like, holy shit. You know, it's like, what year is that one from? What year is that from? Mm -hmm. And it was from the magazines that I, I didn't even know initially that the band had a makeup history. I had seen, when I moved to America in 78, the band, uh, people dressed up as Kiss in makeup, but I hadn't made that connection between that Kiss and the Kiss that I got into in 85. So to then see that there was this long history of the band that went back, you know, it, it was an adventure, and I couldn't get every album at Music City because... They weren't all available at that time, music from the elder. You know, I just wrote a little story about my challenges of finding that album. You know, I, I think Unmasked was another one that they didn't have. So it, it took years for me to find all the albums and to actually be able to discover them. And now, you know, like I just said, there, there's no reward for that discovery. No, there's no wait yeah. and anticipation for what something might sound like or or what something is. And it's the instant gratification society that we live in today that, oh, I'm interested in a band where I can go click here and I can listen to anything I want. And if I don't like it, well, I can just skip to the next track. Yeah, you know, it's, it's totally all devalued now, the information where I'd have to wait. And, you know, I think we did the magazines episode. And I held up that that Kiss on Tour magazine that, you know, went year by year of the band on tour with just a general set list. But the, it was discovering what the albums were through magazines from seeing different pictures of the band, usually used in a completely incorrect context in Circus or Hit Parade or, or you know, some of the, the Kerrangs that would occasionally show up, that you, you, you wouldn't be able to go to the Kiss FAQ and have it all presented to you or to Wiki or, you know, to a group on Facebook, you know, like, kiss my wax you go there and you find everything about every album or you just ask a question what's this album and you know suddenly 80 people are responding to you telling you everything there was none of that there was the interactive you actually had to make an effort i remember going to the library to actually and, look up kiss yeah. on the microfiche so well, <laughs> and you had to take a chance too like well i have this greatest hits album so i have a couple songs off here but is the rest of the album any good or not? Well, I don't know. Well, I'm going to take a chance this week with the money that I have, and we'll see. Yeah. So, you know, and a lot of times that's what it was. Like, well, my greatest hits album only has, on this 
particular album, like Hotter Than Hell, I only have like one or two songs up here off the Greatest Hits albums that I have. So I'll take a chance and I'll get some new songs. There's more new songs on here for me personally than maybe that's on the original album because I have a lot of these off of Double Platinum and Smashes, Smashes, and Hits. So, so Ken, the discovery like that. I want to I want to ask you that period. So now back to the period when they did the WOW uh, album, Gene Simmons. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that period? I I I think out of all the history, that fascinates me the most because that's when the band really hit rock bottom and then started moving back up. They they did creatures. They took off the makeup. Then they started selling more and more albums. What do you think of that period? I I just. I still am fascinated by the period, and maybe that's why I like the Wendy Williams album so much because it's part of that period where yeah. they, you know, they they hit bottom and then they started going up in popularity somewhat. You, you, like my band was back. Yeah, I, I well, yeah. When Creatures came out, I was like, oh, they did it. You know, they finally did it, and I knew they were they were on the right track with that album. Um, because I know they lost a lot of fans with the last few before that. And uh, and then, uh, so that period was cool. I mean, I remember getting a lot of Creature stuff at that time. I got a lot of import albums uh, for Creatures or import stuff like uh, the Double Groove and all that kind of stuff. And then and then when uh, they they did uh, the Lick It Up, um, I was like, okay, here, they, they're still going. But, you know, they took off the makeup. I thought, oh, you know, shoot, what's going to happen now? Is they are they going to really drop off again, or what's you know, it was unknown territory. So when they, you know, got a hit with "Look It Up" and the music was great off of "Look It Up," uh, you know, they were on the right track. Still, they're still you know, gaining momentum and gaining new fans. And then with the uh, the uh, Wendy O. Williams album, I thought, oh, you know, this is just everything is just. This is all good music. It's it's they're they're still heading in the right direction, and then you know, and then it got to. So I was you know, it was I was always into Kiss. There's no doubt for me at least. I never I never jump ship <laughs> when well, that, some that, of these. That, that's things. a relief, Ken. You know, you've been on this show so many times. We wouldn't want someone who'd gone AWOL. Yeah, I never went AWOL. Let me yeah. let me tell you something. I've gotten into fist fights because I was a Kiss fan. Um, <laughs> I had a girl dump me because I went to go see Kiss because that's how oh unpopular they were. So about a year ago, I went to dinner with a real good friend I've known since grammar school, and he was a huge Zeppelin fan. And we used to have these, oh, you know, I like, oh, yeah. believe me, I love Zeppelin too. But, you know, Kiss versus Zeppelin, yeah. Ace versus Jimmy Page, you know. And I sat there and we, and we started laughing about it. And I said, you know, as a body of work, I like Led Zeppelin better. They have better music, but that one album, that Kiss Alive album was so good and made such an impact on me. It's it's like a drug. You keep on wanting to get that feeling back, and I think that's why I always anticipated that next Kiss album, and I always will. And, of course, they put on the great show all the time, but um, that, that feeling I get from listening to Alive, which is, in my opinion, the greatest album ever recorded, um, you just want to regain that joy, and that's why I'm so obsessed with Kiss. And and I have to say that uh, they're my favorite band. It, it's weird they're my favorite band, but there's a lot of other bands whose body of work is much better in my estimation. Like I'd well, rather, if I had to listen to Kiss songs all day or Black Sabbath songs all day, I'd choose Black Sabbath. 
But if I had to pick one album to listen to, you know, before I died, it would be Kiss Alive. Oh, hell yeah. Agree with you yeah. on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like my mom always told me to each their own. And <laughs> I mean, I was not a, a real big listener. I like a lot of their music, but I, I enjoy the music of Kiss much more than I enjoy Led Zeppelin or else I'd be listening to Led Zeppelin all the time. It's just me. You know, everyone's different. So, uh, but yeah, um, I, I don't know. That's, I know the Led Zeppelin and Kiss thing was a big deal back then. Oh, it was a big deal. And then, yeah. Back and forth on that. You know, you had and your then fans. Chicago, they had, either hated or loved the other band. And then that. They had the whole disco versus rock thing. And we had the disco demolition, yeah. which I was at at Comiskey Park, which was one of the craziest things I ever went to. But then my favorite band releases a disco album and I'm, a disco song, and I'm like, "Oh no, you know what's <laughs> right. going on here? My, what's happening to my band?" But uh, yeah. But here's something else to consider. I mean, we've talked about Wow and that material being like a Lost Kiss album. This was Gene's kind of modus operandi at the time. I mean, he produced Keel and he pulled the same trick, didn't he? You know, if you look at the Right to Rock album, it's got you know, keep your tail between your legs, that that uh, what so-called asylum demo. It's got uh, Easier Said Than Done, which was, you know, another written around Animalize and So Many Girls, So Little Time. So, I mean, he was throwing all these songs that were getting disregarded by Kiss or not used by Kiss, but you add all of that material up, and it's better than his contributions. So, I mean... yeah. It should so have been on Kiss albums. at the time too. Was Paul putting the kibosh on his contributions? So then Gene decided to just phone it in, or well, don't forget Gene's also acting at the time. So Gene is yeah. number if one. You want to call it that? Well, okay, he's appearing in front <laughs> yeah, of the, the camera um, in in a paid capacity. Um, so he's doing outside production and he's giving songs to bands. He is not appearing on Kiss albums so that people like Jean Beauvoir can go and, you know, you know, do the bass for Gene or for Paul. Um, so it's, it's a pretty sticky situation. Well, like you said, uh, you know, Paul maybe was putting the kibosh on it because this reminds me of something when I was in uh, junior college and my, just to make a point my poetry i had a poetry class and the poetry teacher picked wanted to pick one of my uh written you know poems or lyrics that i was writing and uh they took it and had me read it in front of the class and i i knew it wasn't that good of one and but he just ripped it apart he purposely chose my worst uh poem and and put it in front of the class and just ripped it apart, and it was it was just it was just a horrible thing that this teacher did. I guess I I don't know why he did it or what, but I think maybe Paul Stanley was just picked Gene's, you know, poorest songs. I like, oh yeah, let's use that one. Let's use that one. So <laughs> for... Gene, so Gene's distracted and he's gone Hollywood, and Paul is the captain, and Paul is throwing, he's running the ship and throwing Gene to the sharks. Yeah, yeah, it could have been. I don't, you know. But Gene produced a pretty great album <laughs> in the oh, meantime. Yeah. 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 yeah and that was what? Gene's first external production credit? I believe so. I think it's the yeah, first because, one be, he did. The, the one, the one that was released he's, anyway. He's Reginald Van Helsing on bass. That is Gene Simmons for yeah. anyone who wants to 
by it. That's him actually playing bass. And that, I brought that up in the beginning of the show. What album has he played bass on every song? It, it, that has been the first album in a long time where he played bass on every song because Paul was playing it or Ace was playing his own bass or you don't know who was playing what. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I would recommend, you know, if you're a Kiss fan, you're, you're going to want to, if you don't have it, you're going to want to get the Wendy Williams uh, album because it's, it's pretty darn good, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's read, readily available. It was reissued a few years ago on on CD. I don't know if it's on iTunes or whatnot, but it's on iTunes. It is more than, so it's easy to get. All right, let's wrap up this episode. Right. That that is the, the the thoughts on Wow and a, another rather long tangent on uh, Kiss's opening acts. And no one mentioned Black and Blue, so shame on y'all. Um, <laughs> I never. <laughs> I don't think I saw Black and Blue open for them. No, never did. I certainly didn't. So, can I say one more thing, Julian? Before you can uh, anytime hang up. <laughs> uh, I just want to wish Paul Stanley happy birthday. On the kitchen. It's his uh, happy birthday, and I wanted to show you something else, Julian. Before we go, I mentioned uh, before that I wanted to show you. It was something. This is a prototype. Ooh. This is the prototype, only known prototype for Kiss. Yes. This is a oh that uh, that oh nice. That's, that's a that's a that's the Kiss uh, my Kiss uh, hook rug. Very nice. <laughs> that, I, that actually I made it uh, back in probably around 1980 or 81, somewhere around there. Did you take a knitting class and you were taking a poetry class? No, I knew a girl at the time. <laughs> knit one <laughs> pearl two, knit one yeah, pearl two. the design, two. but then I, I took, I remember working on it for uh, like a couple of weeks or something, kind of on and off, you know, when I was listening to music and and then I put it away for three months and then finally I picked it up again and just blew it out in like one day and I've had it since then. But uh, yeah, the only known hook rug, kiss hook rug. So, so Ken raised a, a really good point, and today is obviously Paul Stanley's 64th birthday. So the KISS FAQ and the KISS FAQ podcast team do certainly wish Paul a very happy birthday. And as we say in Britain, many happy returns of the day. Uh, Paul, I hope you want to go into the studio for your birthday. <laughs> yes. With the Kramer or Buck Rock or... Please. Bob Ezrin, maybe... Yeah. Definitely Eddie Eddie Kramer for sure. Yeah, no no Ezrin. Just yeah. uh just get Eddie or Rick Rubin. Straight right yeah. Or Bob Rock. Very or, good. Or Mutt Lang. <laughs> Yo, Mutt Lang, yeah. I always thought that would have been good. Yeah. Or uh God who's the guy who did a lot of purple. Yeah. <sighs> okay, well my brain's gone. So I obviously okay. I obviously need to have a cup of tea now. So uh, that's the episode. Ken, thank you very much. Lonnie and the new guy, Joe, we hope you'll be back. Because... Oh, I hope to be back. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, do I have to say my story of woe of what appeared? So this is not a Canadian copy. Damn it. It was supposed to be Canadian. It's just another freaking American copy of The Elder. This one has the lyrics. the lyrics in it. I can't find one of those at all. I found it recently. Just the insert sheet, not the uh, printed inner dust sleeve with the lyrics. Oh yeah, this is the one with the the dust sleeve. With yeah, the that's not the one I want. I want the just the the sheet. So and oh, to add to my tale of woe, I ordered the uh, European copy of the Kiss Forty, Creatures, Psycho Circus, and The Elder, and they all arrived individually. 
They were all put in those shitty Amazon mailers so that they'd shaken around and split the dust sleeves in three mm. directions. I give up. You know, as as if all the crap that I've been sent on eBay lately have been put in bubble mailers. That one that arrived today was at least packaged properly. So enough about nice. my about my crap. All right, that's the show for today, guys. Joe, thank you for the topic and thank you thank for you. making your first appearance. I hope you'll be back. I so, hope to be back. Thank you. So yeah. we will we will add you in and Lonnie and Ken as always. Thank you very much, and to everyone out there, thank you for listening. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. You can find our topic on the FAQ message board. Come in and talk about the Wow album or about any of the topics that we've uh, gone off on tangents about today, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you all. Thank you for spending time listening to the Kiss FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the Kiss FAQ message board and discuss the topic we broadcast today. We hope to see you again.